The Wings Over New Zealand show is brought to you in association with the Wings Over New Zealand Aviation Forum, New Zealand's number one aviation discussion forum online. There you'll find discussion on all aspects of New Zealand aviation, from history to current affairs and thousands of photos covering the Royal New Zealand Air Force, airlines, general aviation, warbird restorations, air show news, sport aviation, home building, gliding, aviation media and much, much more. You'll be in good company with other aviation enthusiasts, including pilots, engineers, warbird owners and restorers, historians and authors, modelers, aviation photographers and many others. Sign up to the Wings Over New Zealand community now. It's free and easy. Just Google Wings Over New Zealand and you'll find the forum. Hi, it's Matt Jolly from warbirdradio.com. Listen, I am thrilled to have Dave Homewood as part of our broadcast family and bring your stories, the stories of the RNZAF, heard right here on Wings Over New Zealand to our global audience. Thanks for listening and hope to hear from you sometime at warbirdradio.com. The Wings Over New Zealand show would like to acknowledge the great support it's had from Fly DC3. You can fly back in time with Fly DC3 from Ardmore Airport, charter the DC3 Dakota and fly into the past. It's an experience you'll never forget. Fly DC3. Go to www.flydc3.co.nz Welcome to the Wings Over New Zealand show with Dave Homewood. Welcome to the Wings Over New Zealand show. I'm your host, Dave Homewood. In this episode, we hear the first talk that was given at the very recent Wings Over New Zealand Christmas Party, which was co-hosted by Fly DC3 at Ardmore Airport in Auckland. The speaker is Alan Emmett, who was a fighter pilot during World War II. He trained on Tiger Moths and Harvards, and then on to the Kitty Hawk before joining a Corsair squadron. He flew Corsairs operationally in the Pacific, with numbers 19 and 26 squadrons. This was recorded in front of a live audience in a hangar, so the audio quality is not perfect, but hopefully it's captured the stories and the atmosphere of the day. Here's the recording. Um, well, I'd like to introduce our first speaker of the day, uh, and that is World War II Corsair pilot Alan Abbott, who has come down from Kerikeri today. Um, we're very, very grateful for him to come down and uh, give us a talk. He's 95 years old, I believe. You wouldn't think it. And... Um, uh, he's got some photographs here from his, uh, his, his wartime career, <laughs> early days, yeah. And uh, I'd like to hand it over to him now. He's not going to stand up, but uh, uh, hopefully you can all see him and you can stand up if you, if you need to. Here's Alan. Well, good morning, ladies and gentlemen. I don't know where to start, but probably a good place would be right at my start, where I was born and how long ago. I was born in a little town just uh, south of Hamilton, called El Halpo. I went to school there and uh, been flying from there to technically in Hamilton. And, uh, I was really old, I was a child build and fly little airplanes. And uh, later on, I went to work, of course, and then time was coming, I, was, I could see that I was going to be called up to the army. And I had no ambition to go there. And I was, as I say, I was interested in flying, so I thought, yes, what's this for me? And I'll learn to fly. And that's exactly what I did. And I applied for the Air Force, and. Uh, I had to talk my parents in the course and let me go because I was only 
Um, I gave him permission to finish. I fly back to say that I'd be accepted. But in the meantime, my boss, where I was working, I'd, I'd had the uh, army call up as well. And he appealed. And he got me off for three months. And the Air Force told me, well, I've been appealed for active service, so they couldn't accept me. And uh, after the uh, appeal ran out, the uh, Air Force, I got back from the Air Force, the table now appeal, finished, and we'll, we'll take you in. So I went in. And the first place I went to was, was Harvard, is Hillwood, in, uh, on the 7th of the 7th, 1943. Marching and drilling and camping. How to shoot a rifle and use the bayonet and all this sort of cow hound. And, uh, and then back to Rotorua, back to school again. Which I didn't think very much of, and I was trying to get to an aeroplane. And uh, then on, on the uh, 1st of the 12th, in 43, finally got to Tyree. I'd never been close to an aeroplane before. I'd seen them flying over, but I'd never been up close to one, and that was my first actual contact with a real aeroplane. And that was a Tiger Moth. And uh, that, 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 was, that was when I first arrived at, uh, at Tari, and that was the uniform they, they issued us with, the flying jacket and the helmet and the gloves and everything. Otherwise, we would have a bit cool in the Tiger Moth. And then, uh, next flight, uh, and then that, that is the actual course of, the, of, of my flying school. You see, the army officer amongst that lot. Well, I transferred from the army, I got sick of the army and joined the Air Force. And I'm the one in the middle, the outsider, of course. And, uh, we all wore the little white flash in our caps, which indicated that we were pilot uh, students. Okay, Dave. Well, yeah, it's hard to say. The. Uh, Chap second on the right from on the on the bottom row, second from the right, with a little mo. That's a, uh, a he, he ended up as a pilot officer, and uh, next to him was a chap called Edwards. And uh, who else have we got there, friend? Uh, it's, a, it's, a lot, it's only a little while ago that I can't remember. <laughs> 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 In the middle. Yeah, I forget his name now. No, no, no. <laughs> Okay. Yep. Now that is the uh, 
close to those on left. Who was that man? What man? At Woodburn. <laughs> After we'd finished with the Tigers, we went to Woodburn and started on the Harvards. And uh, during that, that, that uh, episode there, we had a little episode. We went out and uh, in a Oxford a navigation lesson. And we had, there was two of us for the students with the with the with the Sergeant pilot flying the Oxford and he was just that's all he was there for, just to fly. We had to tell him where to go and uh, what course to steer and approximate time that we'd arrive. And we went out, I navigated on the way out, and then the next student took over and never got to the home again. We got home, joined the circuit, was doing a nice easy circuit, came around to land, had flaps and wheels down. He saw the back to test the horn in the back to see if the undercarriage was locked down or not. And when he opened the throttles again, only one engine responded. And I thought, well, this is option. I've heard of two engine planes flying on one, I thought, that's okay. And uh, he had to tip the plane up on its edge a little bit to keep the, with the one good engine to the full throttle. The other one was dead, of course. And we were going in lovely, and then just there was a, at the end of the aerodrome, there was a road running along there. And blimey, if I didn't farm, I didn't come along in his truck <laughs> full of hay. <laughs> and to get over the top of him, we had to lift the wing up. When he lifted the wing out, of course, that saw the plane. We crashed into the fence. Hit the fence, and the jar hit with the hitting the fence. The pilot pushed the sides forward with his right, with his right arm, right hand. Because the good engine ripped up full throttle, the other one wouldn't go over to do anything. And I was. Got the phone yeah, there it is. Well, I was down in the, I ended up down in the front there. I was standing alongside the pilot when we came in to tip the fence. And I was standing alongside the pilot and the jar, I shot down onto the, into the front there. And I got up out of the, I was okay, never got hurt. Got up from the end back up to where the pilot was, just in time to see the plane veering around in a nice half circle, heading towards the harbour. There was two harbours parked there wanting to take off heading for the harbour. And that broken engine, which was the bad one, hit the harbour engine on about a 45 degree angle, right over the top of it. I ended up down in the wild front again. When it went, out, it went up, of course, it broke the left hand wing off, right? Broke it right off. And that caused the plane to spin. It a loop on the ground. And came to a standstill. I got up and was okay. The pilot was okay. And the mate, he was up against the bulkhead of the back of the plane. He was sitting on the floor with his back to it. And that was all right. Everything was okay. Come to a nice standstill. Opened the door and stepped out onto the grass. Not, not one of us were hurt, except the pilot when he 
push the throttles forward, the lever had gone between his fingers, and he'd split the skin between his fingers. That was the only damage. Well, only damage to you. Only damage to you on the plane, that's right. And the, the harbour, of course, we looked around to see what, he, what happened to him. And he was slumped forward in his seat with his head on the instrument panel. And I thought, oh, God, here we go, we've done something to him. We've got about halfway to him, he was oh, twice the distance from here to there, the end of the hangar there, I suppose. He sort of sat up and shook his head, looked around, undid his straps, and he stepped out of his plane as well. So there was nobody hurt whatsoever. That was my first introduction with not being in the air, rolling in a heap on the ground. Okay, Dave. And that now is our. Uh, that the wind's where I've been? Yeah. That's the end of the harbour flying, and we got our wings. That was a that's that's uh, Max Steele, and uh, he came from uh, Papatauatai, and uh, later on, when the war was all over, and we were back. We'd shifted from down Waikato and come up to Auckland, living in Auckland, and blow me if our, one of our next door neighbours was his brother. And he worked in his brother's car yard in Papatauatai. And then the chap in the, in the middle, it's uh, another, another mate of mine, uh, Derek Flintoff, the chap in the middle, And Brian Cox was actually in there too as well. He, came to, he was training at the same time as I was. You can't read the names, I don't think you can blow it up, Dave, or not? No. Yeah. This chap was Brown. That's Brown. He was even one of the army officers. Uh, yeah, and he he was uh, later when we, we went from there down to the uh, to Hillwood again and flying guineahawks. He was, uh, I don't know really what happened, but he was out practicing. I think he was doing some aerobatics. They seemed to think that he was a big tall guy and he didn't have his straps done up tight enough and he was doing some aerobatics. He hit his head on the canopy and knocked himself out and the next thing he was nose into a ditch, not far from the airfield. Buried the engine about 20 feet into the ground he didn't, didn't survive. That's another mate of mine, Ivan Walker. Uh, Ivan Walker, yeah. We had many beers together. See, Jeff. That's the 19th squadron. Nice no, <laughs> Brent knows as much about things as I do. Yeah. 
Kitty Hawks, yeah, yeah, that, that, that last flight, last flight on that was the last time I flew a Kitty Hawk, and that was what I don't know if you chaps have heard of tonight, of Gloria Lyons, was the name of the plane, and there's a photo of it, next, next slide, yeah, yeah, that's it there, that's Gloria Lyons, that was the last Kitty Hawk I flew. Yeah, yeah. Now we come to 19 uh, Squadron. And that's. Uh, yeah. Fogarty's there too, isn't he, Wayne? Print off up on the right hand side. Yeah. Print off, yeah. The one in the front, down the front, is. is chap called Freiburg and uh, I guarantee it but I uh, believe that he was a nephew of General Freiburg 
I'll play with him for a bit. Different times. Yeah, that was here outside, outside one of the hangers here with the with the course here. If anyone's got any, any questions at any time and they want to know something. Does he? Yeah. Oh, yeah. He wasn't just yet. Yeah, yeah, well, that's probably him. Yeah. That's a Yeah. And the commanding officer was Killian. That's the chap in the scene in the middle of the front row. Well, we didn't see very much of it. <laughs> Put it that way. <laughs> because we went uh, from there. That's, that's the flight. That was where we uh, buried the planes. We were, we were at Garda Canal on flying courses. And we only were there for a couple of weeks getting familiarisation of flying around in the tropics and then they told us that we were going to go to Emera and uh, we were the first squadron, New Zealand squadron to go to Emera and we had to ferry our own planes up from Guadalcanal I was in the first flight that went up and uh, we went from Emera to Bougainville got it, got it. Yeah. No, from Guadalcanal, sorry. Guadalcanal to Bougainville, about a two hour flight. We stopped there, refilled, and then went on again to Emory, another two hour flight. And we were the first two uh, New Zealand squadron in there. And when we arrived, they told us that our camp hadn't been built properly, that wasn't finished. And they were sending us up to an American camp, just a couple of miles up the road. And uh, we went up there. And uh, we were at that stage, I was only a flight sergeant, but all the American pilots, of course, were all officers, so with big air crew, they said, right, you were in with the officers. So we would be into the officers' mess, and uh, they issued us our gear and told us where our huts were up in the, the tents, we went up there on the wooden floors and walked in and there beds with sheets and blankets and pillowcases and everything on them, already made up. And uh, we just got ourselves organised and went down to the mess, into the officers' mess of course, walked in there and it was like a restaurant. There was tables and chairs and tablecloths on the tables. We just sat down and the, uh, they had the Negro chap doing the waiting, they came over and take our order and when we gave our order, of course, naturally we were prepared to them like a human being, like we did the Maoris and everybody else, we said thank you very much. They went away and got our food and they brought it back and we said thank you and spoke to them, you know, in an ordinary manner and they thought we were gods. 
We walked into the mess every time after that and they were around us like a small bees. And the Yanks would be sitting at their table and saying, hey boy! And probably the, the chap that was eating the outdoors was twice the age they were. <laughs> so it was great and I thought, well this is, if this is war, this will do me. And flying as well, you know, it was good. And we were there for about three days. And then they said, well your camp's ready. They sent us down to our camp, put us in the truck and took us down to all our gear. And there's your tents out there going to make this, get yourself a tent and fought to a tent. Went and went, it was a tent, pitched coral floor, no camp stretches. They issued us with a blanket and a skid and it, and that was about it. And there was a heap of timber out the back and uh, I think I remember, I remember writing now, I didn't tell you, Brent, but I think they said to you, well, you can have that if you want it. It didn't take us very long when we had wooden floors in our tents that night. <coughs> and we went down to the mess for our meal. And this was, up in the end camp, of course, we were using all fresh vegetables, fresh eggs, fresh meat, and everything was all beautiful, just like a restaurant. Went to our, down to our mess, Walked in there and we had dehydrated potatoes and dehydrated fruit and vegetables, which was little cubes of carrots, about a quarter of an inch cube. And they soaked that in water to swell it up to about a, half an inch, three quarters of an inch. Then they cooked it. The peas were the same, they were dried peas, soaked in water, and they looked awful and they tasted bloody awful. <laughs> And that's what we were living on. And about a mile up the road, the Yanks living on all fresh stuff that was come, probably coming from New Zealand. And that, that's the actual island where we landed at Emerald. You can see the two strips across the, right across the island at the top there. And there's, there's one strip was for the, uh, for the bombers and the other one was for us. And that's, that's all it was. That was one and, one and a half degrees this side of the equator. But it was a little bit warm, and, uh, and that's uh, that's uh, a, a Corsair landing on the uh, on the middle strip. Well, just after after a shower of rain, and you can see the water spraying up off the wheels. And that that was the actual strip that we were operating on. Yeah, that, that's the sort of tent we had. That's not actually one of them. I don't think that's my tent, our tent, but uh, that's the sort of building we had to live in. And that's, that's for me with... Uh, that's your tent. That's, that's our, our tent here. And the print off there is a third on the ro in the row. Uh, the other two, I can't really remember their name. But we had a... Uh, we put a tent... A tent a drum at the corner there and we just got it up and we had we folded the edge of the tent up made a spouting out of it and we just got it up and a shower of rain came over and it was a shower and it was off one side of that tent that filled that drum in about five minutes and it rained up there it really rained okay then that I don't know December the 22nd, that's right, that's my 
21st birthday. And on that day, we, uh, another chap and I, Freiburg, uh, I've mentioned him before, him and I went out on what we used to call the Cavian Patrol. And the Cavian Patrol was all we did at Emerald. You put two planes in the morning would fly out and be over carrying at about eight in the morning. And then we just circle around that for about 10,000 uh, 10, feet for about four hours. And during that time, we used to carry a bomb, uh, 500 pounders for a start. And during that time, we could pick out any target we liked and just dive bombs, drop the bomb on the, on the target. And then on this one particular flight, when I was with Freiburg, we went out and uh, we were flying around and the weather wasn't very good over the actual caviar where we were flying, so we flew down the coast a bit further and uh, spotted a few houses in the, in the bush there, just right on the, on the beach. And uh, we went down and dropped our bombs on that. And during that time, that's like I remember seeing we were actually being fired at from the ground. And after we dropped our bombs, we out over the sea and started to climb back to our 10,000 feet to go back to Cavian. And I decided, well, I'm sick of this. I'm going to do a bit more formation, practice formation. So I tucked in right under Freiburg's wing, and the two of us flying along together. And all of a sudden, he just wheeled off to the right. No warning, no nothing, just wheeled off. And naturally, I just followed him. And I looked back, and right, I estimated right where we were. There was a big black smoke with any aircraft gun. If he had, he said, yeah, later, he actually spotted the flash from the ground and realised what it was. And if he hadn't done that, I think he got one of us, both of us. It was that close. Yeah, I've got that wrong. I've got that wrong. That 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 that's part of the of the uh, diary that you send up, Dave. Yeah, you can't believe what's in the diary. <laughs> yeah, okay. That's that's me leaning against the corset. The daisy colour bomb underneath it with a stalk hanging out the front. We used to call it a daisy colour. When it hit the ground, it went, it went off that far above the ground. We knew what every obstacle it hit. And it just used to spread into the jungle. We were dropping them, of course, into the jungle. And it was just like dropping a, a pebble in a pool. All you could see was a shockwave going out through the trees. And uh, we didn't know whether we hit anything or not. And that's went off in front of the same plane. He's got two bombs under his. Two, two thousand pounders. Yeah. And of course, he was capable of carrying those quite easily. But you can see there, it's a, it's a mighty big plane. That is carrying. Brent will point it out to you. We used to fly around right on that top point there, we used to fly. Yeah. In reality, the map 
don't know where you're coming from. Probably sitting in quite a few, apparently. Yes, that's it. Squadronita. Dells, Patty Bradley's on his, on his right. Looking at Mon Hill. Look there, that's him. That's Patty. Yeah. Here's a few of the names there I can remember. Bobby James, he was a real ladies man, that one. <laughs> okay, Dave. What have we got here? Oh, that's how it's held out of tent. Ivan Walker, my mate Ivan Walker. And these uh, native boys. They just used to ride and camp. Nobody sees them coming and nobody's seen them go. They just just like a ghost. <laughs> but uh, they were quite good. At uh, at Bergenville, they used to uh, that little cloth thing he's got on, they used to call it a lap lap. And they used to be in amongst the chaps. And uh, they'd they'd climb a tree, hang that up on the top of the tree on a branch at the top, then they'd send word back to us and say there was a so-and-so, a camp or a gun or something, so many yards either way from that, and that we'd, we'd use that, that as our target. And we'd all bomb and get as close as we could to the moment. Most times we were pretty close. And then they'd uh, often they'd send word back what damage we'd done. But uh, yeah, that's that's Bergenville. And about halfway up on the on the side there where our ship was, Turakina. About there. And the rest of the island was actually occupied by Japanese. It was just a circle round that we had. And we were doing all sorts of bombing raids from there, we were flying practically every day there. Memory hour, I did used to fly about once every three days. I didn't do many, many hours up there at all. But here we were flying every day, sometimes twice a day. And we were bombing from one end of the island to the other. A lot of it was around that area there. Up as far as there and down to the bottom, Kahili at the bottom. And most of it was uh, support to the Australians. The Australians were the uh, ground troops there. And we were in support with them, and if they had any trouble with any, any gunnery or anything like that, quite often they used to mark it with a smoke bomb with their artillery, and we'd go out and we'd be bombing probably a couple hundred yards in front of the Australian lines. If that, sometimes it was closer. We'd fly down the same direction as the line was and drop our bomb. We used to start our, our run from about uh, nine or 10,000 feet, and uh, in the course here, it was reasonably easy. You could fly over, and there was a dip in the wing. You we used to squat and fly over and then, until the target was in that, that dip of the wing, and then we'd peel over and go down. And our bomb, we'd go down to about a thousand feet using our gun sight on the target. And then just when it got to about 1500, we started to pull out. We'd pull up until the, well I did, I used to use that, 
pull up until the day just started to disappear behind the nose. And then let the bomb go and then pull out the rest of the way. And that used to put the bomb anywhere within 50 metres of the target. Each one of those planes, whenever we never ever had the same plane, he went out and often, sort of, most times it was a different plane, it was just whichever one happened to be on the line. And uh, that's nothing further there really, it was just in the crew room, there was uh, about three squadrons in there and they were uh, briefing us on where the target was. And <laughs> yeah. That's the same shot, the same place. And that now we've got three again. The, 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 the books here with all those that, that's all our strikes and at uh, at Bougainville. And it's, in, it's all in here in, the, in my log here if anybody wants to have a look at it. It's uh, on again. And that, that, was, that was a plane flown by uh, Paddy, Paddy Bradley was flying that one. And he landed, I don't know why, but he just got caught for the interview run and the plane burst in flames. But naturally he stopped and got out pretty quick. <laughs> And that, that's the remains of his plane, burnt one side of it. And that's back to the, uh, the end, end, of the, end of the flying at Bougainville as it went and then coming back to Admiral. Or was that the start of 26? Horton Plantation, that's up the top of, top of Bougainville. Like the Aussies made a landing at the top end of the island. They thought, well, they were going to make a landing and cut the Japs off up there. And uh, they got really beaten up. And uh, pillboxes and things like up there. And they called us up to, to help them out. And we went up and we, went and we bombed the pillboxes and all the machine gun positions of the Japanese. And if we hadn't done that, they probably wouldn't have got the Aussies off. But they finally got them all back off the island again. That was, that was his last... Yeah. And then, one more. then this... Back at uh, Arbor again, isn't it? 26 Squadron. That's... We came back and uh, some of us left... Well, some of our pilots left the, left the uh, squadron and we picked up new pilots and we were training again here, ready to go back on what would have been my third tour into the islands. It was very close to the end of the war and I decided that they didn't need to bother sending us up there anymore. We could just put into a pool and kept stayed here until the war was out. Then we were disbanded. Oh there, the uh, chap on the right, at the top back row, we used to call him Pop. He was like the oldest member of our squadron, or one of the oldest. He's calling Pop Wilson today. And he was leading us in a formation here. And uh, we'd been out formation flying. There was 12 of us. 
And I was number 12, right at the back. And uh, we were flying over here and sat on the ground, told us afterwards it was a beautiful formation of a real box, 12 aircraft, almost touching. And there was a rain squall out, to, I think it was out here somewhere, and he, for some reason, steered us straight into it. When we went in there, it was just like turning lights out. All I could see was the plane in front of me was up like this. I couldn't see any of the others. So I cut the throttle, stick forward, I came out the bottom. And uh, the guys on the ground said it was quite funny, really, because beautiful formation went into the cloud, and all of a sudden it was coming out like fireworks. <laughs> And there wasn't, wasn't one plane touched. How, how the guys in the middle got out of it, I don't know. But there wasn't one plane crashed. That was, that, that was my last flight, last flight in the course there. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, anybody got any questions? It's quite, a, quite an eventful tour. Well, I remember another instance when we were at uh, Guadalcanal. There was a chap in the uh, 19th Squadron, a chap called Watts. And we were out in formation uh, practice. And the leader out there, well, I was flying number four again. And our leader was beating us down. There was quite a bit of cumulus crowd around. We went down and we were flying around in the valleys of the cloud which was great fun. It was good fun. I was number four because I was all over the place. I said, yeah, I come round the corner and the rest were gone. I don't know where they went. So I climbed up above the clouds and looked down and I couldn't see them. And I spotted two spots miles away. Now well, that must be two of them anyway. There were supposed to be three. So I put my nose down and after them. I got about halfway there and the next thing over my head. <laughs> I heard the, heard the noise and then the, 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 the substring. Another course here. He, he done, did exactly the same thing. He lost them as well and he was looking for them too. He probably didn't even see me. We were that close. We were so, he went over my head with about the height of this. And we went back to the formation, caught up and formated all right. And he was all over the place. He was in and out. He was flying number three. Next thing he just peeled off and went away. I left, stayed out where I was, left the gap for him to come back again. And I was fine for quite a while, he didn't come back, so I thought, okay, I'll move over into his place. He could join up on the outside if he comes back. Next thing he in front of me was a course here. About from here to the Mustang away. <laughs> I was wondering I didn't cut his tail off. Well, I didn't. I throttled back and drive down out of the road. It was twice in the one flight that he almost killed me. <laughs> After that, we were on a Dumbo flight at Thamorel. And, uh, well, the weather wasn't very good. We were in and out of clouds and rain and everything all the time. And we used to weave, to keep our speed up, we'd have to weave behind the Catalina. We went backwards and forwards across the back. 
And we got to the stage where if we'd done it, we'd have lost the sight of him. So we went in and formatted on the Catalina. Actually, I got underneath the wing, right in close, and just up under the wing and out of most of the rain. And the Yanks in the Dumbo, especially the uh, gun turret on, on the side, he was sitting in there smoking a cigar and having a great time. <laughs> And the other guy, he, he, he was on the other wing on the other side. And then the, the, the uh, Dumbo pilot called us up. We were on our way to a ball. You probably all heard of that. We were escorting him. There was a radio on the wall. We were escorting the Dumbo in case somebody got shot down. But he called up and he said, well, look, we don't need you guys. If anything happens, we'll just tuck into one of these and the Dumbo will never see us. So he gave us a course and we left him to it and flew home again. But when, as I say, when it rained up there, it rained. Okay, ladies, that's, gentlemen, that's, that's about my lot, I think. Gun fire, pretty well, but there was the odd occasion where there was a bit of heavier stuff. That's another instance that I must tell you about too. Was on Christmas Day, of, uh, while we were up there, our CO decided to have a fight, and he and one of the other pilots took off and do the carrying patrol. And when he killed, peeled over to do his bombing run, they opened up a from the ground, aircraft, and they poked one in the front of his engine. <laughs> and of course, it didn't do it much good. <laughs> and uh, he, he flew out and anyway and landed in the drink at the ditch of the plane. And I don't think he even got his feet wet before the gumbo was there to pick him up. And they gave him, naturally, they gave him a drink of rum to calm his nerves. And <laughs> by the time he got back to the Airstrip where we were, you could hardly stand up. <laughs> we never saw him again for about four days. Well, they had it was coral, but they used to put a, what like a uh, seal matting. And he put that down over the top of the coral. And that was awful to land on because it was a rattle and bang and stress underneath the plane. Especially after a bit of rain, you would go over it and it naturally the movement of the, of the steel used to wash the coral out and it would be holding it near it. It wasn't a very smooth runway at all. With the corals, just straight out of coral. But then it, there was too much dust from that. And that was causing trouble with the engines and things like that. Because we used to take off 
quite often almost in formation, one way or the other. Oh yeah, we went. That was a, that was an incident up there at Emerald, uh, and uh, there was two of us. We were going out on patrol, and uh, I had a bomb. I was, I was short of bombs at that time, but my plane happened to have one on it, and we just taken off. And the uh, lead plane who I was with, he had trouble with his engine or something, and he had to go back. He went back to land again to swap planes, get another plane. And I was circling around with a bomb and I thought, well, I'm not going to circle around up here for half an hour while he's down there on the ground. So I called up the tower and asked permission to land. And they gave me permission to come in and I landed, came in to land and I thought, well, I've got a bomb hanging underneath me. I'm going to need a bit more speed than I normally have. So I came in fairly fast and uh, everything was going well. I was about 20 feet up the next thing the plane just went like that. Oh, holy hell. I hope that bomb hangs on. <laughs> yeah, it did. <laughs> and I landed, taxied back and wrote, he got his new plane and away we went. And I did that patrol and thought I dropped my bomb. But I'll never do that again. <laughs> I didn't really catch what you were saying. Oh, sorry, 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 sorry about that. Sorry, you see the Japanese would come down for a swim into the ocean and, they, and the guys would sort of always know when they were going for a swim and they'd come down and they'd give them a shake-up. Yeah. And they'd dive into the water. Yeah, no, I never actually did that. But uh, we used to have a little bit of fun with the, with the natives sometimes when they're in their canoes. If we found them out in their canoe, we'd fly over very low to see them, to see them dive overboard. <laughs> well, some, of the, some of the chefs used to go out and uh, fly around over the vegetable gardens that they were had up there. And uh, one one guy told us that he flew, flew over this vegetable garden and it looked like a, a lot of bags of potatoes in the paddock all over the place. And then he, he thought, all the back of this, I'll go back and start up, get rid of a few of that. And when he went, when he went back again, all the potato bags were scurrying into the bush. <laughs> it was, it was the, probably the Japanese. Was, they just huddled up and sat where they were, three went over, and then they took off wings. Boy, give them a hurry up with the veggies anyway. That was the Wings Over New Zealand show with Dave Homewood.